0: If you would turn with me again to Judges chapter 14 tonight, we just read the words a moment ago, the beloved John, who said, he that committed, committed sin is of the devil for the devil sinneth from the beginning, but those words at the end of that verse for this purpose, the son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Why did Christ come that he might do just that destroy the works of the devil? Now I know you know and and I know, and everyone should know that the devil is not a physically red man with horns and a long forked tail and carries a pitchfork uh, but Paul wrote in second Corinthians uh, chapter eleven verse thirteen he said. For such are false prophets or false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, this shouldn't surprise you, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according. To their works, so none of us should marvel that false apostles and deceitful workers are found in religious circles. Uh, That shouldn't surprise us, knowing that Satan himself is transformed into an angel, a messenger of light, a messenger of the gospel. Now, you you won't find Satan in the uh, bar rooms and brothels. You're more likely. To find him in the pulpit. And Satan doesn't look like Hollywood has made him to look. Satan looks like a preacher. A messenger of the gospel. Why was Christ made manifest? To destroy the works of the devil. Now we're first introduced to Satan the devil in the garden when he deceived Eve with his subtlety. And then we find him again in the presence of God in the book of Job chapter One, the Lord asked Satan, he came in the presence of God, and he said, where comest thou, or whence comest thou? And Satan answered and said, from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. What was he doing that? He Why was he doing that? He was seeking whom he may devour. And it was then that God suggested that that, uh, Satan uh, should consider his servant Job. And God told Satan, he said, there's none like Job. He said, he's a, a perfect and upright man, one that feared God and and departed, and skewed evil, departed from evil. But Satan was already aware of Job. And he'd already considered Job. And he'd left him alone because he knew that God had hedged him about. That's what he told him. You've hedged him about. You know he knew that God had watched over him and protected him. It was then that God said, well, okay, you can put forth your hand, you can touch him, you can take everything that he's got, but you can't touch him. You know the rest of the story. Satan, with God's permission, took everything that Job had within a very short time. A little later, we find Satan again in the presence of, of God, And the same conversation ensues. And Satan said, the only reason Job didn't curse you and didn't curse you when I took everything that he had was because you wouldn't let me touch him. You let me touch him. You let me touch his body and he'll curse you to your face. And God said, go ahead. You can touch, you can touch him. You can touch his flesh. You can touch his bone. But you can't take his life. You see, God is in control. God puts the restrictions restrictions upon what Satan can do. Satan is God's dog on a chain. I uh, I hear I have relatives always talking about taking authority over the devil. You know, taking power over the devil. You know, God, uh, God got authority over him. The Lord Jesus already conquered him. He's on a chain. He's He's God's. Uh, guard dog or whatever you want to call him. <laughs> he, he, we don't need to take authority on him. We better not. We don't match for him. So you know, again, the story Satan st- struck Job with bulls from top of his head to the soles of his feet. So we see from the beginning that Satan's work is to destroy the people of God. The Lord Jesus called Satan a thief. He said, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life more abundantly. And this is the work of the devil. The Lord said in Mark chapter four, verse 14, the sower soweth the the word and these are they which fell by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they had heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their heart. Uh, The devil's a thief and he's out to to steal and kill and destroy. He's the father of all lies. And the Lord said he was a murderer from the beginning. In Luke chapter 22, verse three, we're told, then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the 12. And he went his way and he communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray Christ unto them. He's out to destroy the Lord Jesus and the gospel and God's people. But for this purpose, our Lord came into this world to, to destroy him. Satan's work is to kill and destroy. Also in Luke chapter 22, the Lord told Peter, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And he did he did. Peter denied the Lord three times shortly after this, but the Lord said, "This I prayed for thee, that thy faith fail thee not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother." Peter was restored to the to the Lord and his gospel. So, his prayer for Peter was effectual. In Mark chapter eight, the Lord told his disciples openly that he'd be rejected, arrested, and killed, and Peter began to rebuke the Lord, take issue with the Lord. He said, I'm not going to let this happen. And you remember what the Lord said to Peter? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men." Peter was being influenced by the devil, which never savors the things of God and always the things of men. And this is Satan's work. I'm trying to establish this from the scriptures. And this is why Christ came, to destroy him. And that's what we have a picture of tonight. The Lord Jesus destroying the works of the devil. So let's uh, look again at Judges chapter 14 together, beginning in verse five. (coughs) Then when Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnah and came to the vineyards of Timnah and behold, a young lion roared against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, Samson and he rent him, Samson rent the lion as he would have rent a kid, a small goat and he had nothing in his hand but he told not his father or mother, what he had done. Now again we see that it wasn't Samson's long hair or being a Nazarite that gave him this great power that it was the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and Samson tore rent into this lion with nothing in his hand. The Lord Jesus who had the Spirit of God without measure destroyed the works of the devil with nothing in his hand either. We're not a match for Satan, as I said earlier, but is no match for our Lord. Last time we said saw that Samson went down to Timnath. Timnath means, as I told you, appointed portion. Verse one tells us that Samson went among the Philistines to get a wife. The Lord Jesus did the same. He came to seek and to save an ungodly people. They are his appointed portion appointed to be his portion from the foundation of the world. He's going to present this ungodly Philistine bride to himself, a glorious church, according to Ephesians 5, verse 27. But first he must conquer, he must defeat and slay this lion. That's the picture we have before. Samson slays this lion with his bare hands. He had nothing in his hand. He didn't have a staff to keep the lion away. He didn't have a spear or sword or a knife to pierce the lion. And as a type of Christ, the Lord destroyed this adversary that stood between him and his future bride. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he destroyed the works of the devil. Our enemy, our adversary, our accuser, Satan is compared to a a roaring lion who seeks whom he may devour. And he is cruel and he seems ferocious, but he is as a roaring lion. Did you ever notice that in the scripture? As a roaring lion. He's a roaring lion with no teeth. The Lord's pulled his teeth. (laughs) And uh, this is not a picture of some cosmic battle between good and bad this is not a blow by blow account of good versus evil this it's not an epic struggle of good and evil like we see in the movies the lord jesus destroyed the works of the devil with his own bare hands our lord needed no weapons the lord destroyed the devil by his work of righteousness accomplished by his own bare hands that The hand in the scriptures is a picture of works. It was by his perfect work of righteousness that he destroyed the work of Satan. Adam and Eve, you remember, with their own hands, they sewed fig leaves together to cover them. But God wouldn't accept it because it was a covering by the works of their hands. God covered them with the skins that came from the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Cain. Cain brought as an offering to the Lord the fruit of his own hands. And what did God do? God rejected his offering because there was no shedding of blood. God accepted Abel's sacrifice and offering of the lamb because blood was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Here we have a beautiful picture of our Lord defeating Satan with nothing but his hands, his work of righteousness finished and accomplished. Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a woman, a daughter of the Philistines. I mentioned this last time. Philistine means immigrant, migrants, foreigners, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. That's what we are by nature. That's what we are. What did Samson tell his parents? He said, go get her for me to wife. And you see, friends, it was God the Father who elected and chose a bride for his son. And it was God the Holy Spirit that was sent to fetch that bride and bring her to faith in Christ. And if he hadn't, we'd have never come. Verse 3, why? Why? For she pleaseth me well. (laughs) When I think about the Lord saying those words concerning you and I, I just, it's flabbergasting to me. That's what Samson said, and that's what the Lord Jesus said. The Lord loves his bride, and he set his affection on her with an everlasting love. And he loved her so much that he gave himself for her. And by His blood, He presented her washed and cleansed. And the Scripture says she has no spot, no wrinkle, or any such thing. Perfect. Perfect. He presented her to Himself that way. The evidence of Christ's love for his people is what he accomplished on Calvary's cross when he rent the devil with his own bare hands and took this obstacle of a roaring lion out of the way, delivering his people from their sin. And this bride, this woman among the ungodly, this immigrant, she pleased Samson well, but it wasn't because she was the most beautiful of women. Yeah, That's not why Samson loved her. Well, you say, how do you know that, Brother David? Well, her father in the next chapter, Judges chapter 15, after giving his daughter away to one of Samson's friends, told Samson, said, "It's is not her younger sister fairer than she? You can have her. It wasn't her outward beauty that Samson loved. I think about that verse in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. You know, the word fewest there refers to both quantity and quality. <laughs> yes, Israel was fewer than the Egyptians whom they had left, and they were fewer than the Canaanites to where they were going. But they were just as evil and just as idolatrous, as both the Egyptians and the Canaanites. We've seen that over and over again in these studies. And it's the same with us. There was a time when every believer was children of wrath, even as others. Why did the Lord set His love upon them? One reason only, because of His own faithfulness to them because it simply pleased him to do so. But because that, that passage of Deuteronomy goes on to say, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Mm-hmm. Salvation's of the Lord. It's taught throughout the scriptures. Yes, it's not what that we love God, but that he loved us. Herein is love. Not, not that we love God. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Samson loved this woman freely, without a cause. That's what freely means, without a cause. And Christ loves us the same way, freely, without a cause. Nothing in us that attracts us to the Lord Jesus. His love for us is unmerited. His love for us is undeserved. And it's most certainly unearned. You know, I've often wondered... What Homer what Gomer, excuse me, not Homer of uh, (laughs) Gomer looked like after all those years of whoredom and righteous living, as she stood there on that slave block. Can you imagine? She once beautiful, I'm sure, now she's ragged and worn. And what a toll Life pays on the appearance of one that looks to other gods and loves flagons of wine. Yet in spite of her, Hosea chose her and he redeemed her and he bought her with a price, a great price. And what a picture that is of Christ choosing the believer. There was nothing in us that would cause him to love us. In verse four, we're told that 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 uh, At that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. You see that? Now listen to me. Sin will have dominion over you until this lion is killed. This lion's got to be destroyed. Our strong man, the Lord Jesus, must kill our roaring adversary in order to procure the, le- the, the least attractive of a bride. In verse 5, we see that Samson went down with his mother and father to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. That's where he met the young lion. And it's the same with our Lord. He met our adversary at the vineyard, didn't he? The wine press is at the vineyard. It was at the winepress that Christ trod out the wrath of God's justice for the sins of his people. This is where the shedding of His blood became a covering for our sin. Christ came down to the vineyard and a young lion roared against Him. The only thing this lion can do is roar. It's important to understand that it wasn't the devil that killed the Lord Jesus on Calvary's cross. It wasn't. It was God the Father that was pleased to bruise Him. It was God the Father, that made his soul an offering for sin. You see the devil is nothing but a pawn, nothing but a pawn. He's a puppet, a hostage of God. One of the, the synonyms of the word pawn is cat paw. <laughs> his cat paw's have been declawed. Look at uh, back at first Peter or look at not back, but at first Peter chapter five with me, if you would. <laughs> Verse eight, First Peter, Chapter Five. Verse eight Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He is as a roaring lion. His teeth and his claws have been removed. He roars, he accuses, and he tries to bring us under the law. He's seeking whom he may devour. We're the only ones, friends, who can let him. May I devour you? No, you may not. James said, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. How do we resist him? Well, look at verse 9 here. Whom re- resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We look around this world that we're in and we see this hopelessness. hopelessness what we see is the accomplishments of a roaring lion. But if we resist him steadfast in the faith, believing that Christ, our strong husband has rent him as though he was nothing. We see that, that uh, in what verse 10 tells us, but the God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect. Stab us, strengthen, and settle you. As we'll see later, honey is found in the lion's carcass. Honey in the Bible pictures the Word of God. The sweet honey of the Word of God points us to Christ and Him alone. What we have here before us tonight is a spiritual picture of our salvation. This is a Not a story of the battle of good and evil. This is not a story about a a battle between Samson and a lion. Christ exchanging blow for blow with the devil. It's much more than that. This is a story about God Almighty slaying His Son on the cross when He saw the sin of His people. This is a story about how the justice of God was meted out on the one and only sacrifice for sin. This is a story about God's beloved son who loved his bride so much that in the end, as Samson did, he died to deliver her from the oppressor of sin, our greatest enemy. And in the providence of God, Samson looked down on the Philistines and Timnath and he saw a woman that well pleased him. And on the way to make her his bride, there is a lion that roars and has to be killed and destroyed before he can take that wife unto himself. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. There's a lion that roars and he's got to be killed. He's got to be destroyed before he can take unto himself this wife. And that is exactly what the Lord did. For this purpose, we read, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Accuse us of sin. Sin is a transgression of God's holy law. How did the Lord destroy the works of the devil on the cross of Calvary? He fulfilled the requirements of the law perfectly for it. He satisfied God's justice in his bride's room and place. And the devil uses our sin to accuse us. He points to the law and he reminds us of just how short we come of it. But, and the hard part is that all his accusations are true. We truly are under the curse of the law. Christ does not keep the law for us. But to the church of God, his wife, the riddle's been revealed. The honey of God's word, Christ, who is the word of God, has slain the lion. He's fulfilled all the requirements of God's law. You know, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, the apostle Paul wrote, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. And then he said this, But how to perform that which is good I find not. That's our problem. We we can't find any comfort in the law because our flesh is weak and can't keep the law. So what is to keep Satan from accusing us? Paul asked himself this question, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Then he answered his own question and said, I thank God through Jesus Christ. In other words, I am delivered only through, in and by the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And because of that, Paul went on to say, there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Is that not the best news you ever heard? The law has no claims on God's people. He fulfilled the law. He satisfied God's justice. And you and I are not guilty of the law. And and because of that, there's no condemnation. In Christ, Satan can accuse God's people of offending the law. Christ kept the law for them. Amen. By his substitution and sacrifice, the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed over he who was a counterfeit line. He is a roaring lion. Has had his roar box removed. The only man that could ever enter into heaven and touch God without being destroyed is the same man that reached down and touched the sinner without being defiled That's the, this is the same man the God man that defeated the works of the devil you see you and I couldn't we're no match for him we'll be sifted as weed but Christ destroyed the works of the devil he's prayed for us that our faith fail us not and because of that it never will Friends, in Christ, we've been justified. In Christ, we're as perfect as He is. But as long as we live here in this flesh, we're going to struggle and we're going to be accused. The good that we would do, we don't. The evil that we would not do, that we do. When Rebecca conceived and became pregnant with twins in Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, listen to me on this. If you don't get anything else out of the night, message get this we're told that when she became pregnant with these twins Jacob and Esau that the children struggled within her and she said, Why am I thus? and when she inquired of the Lord the Lord said, Two nations are in your womb two manner of people shall be separated from my bowels and the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. You see, within her was Esau the reprobate and Jacob the elect. One who was nothing but sin and the other perfectly righteous before the Lord. Now this is a representation of our two natures. They constantly struggle with one another. Uh, We're high on the mountaintop one day serving the Lord, you know, feel good about And next day we're down in the valley, overcome with sin, depressed, discouraged. Why is that? Well, two natures constantly struggling, one with the other. But the Lord told Rebekah, the elder shall serve the younger. Esau, who pictures our flesh, shall serve the younger Jacob, who pictures our new man. No saved sinner will endeavor to excuse their sin. But when they sin, they know that it's that sin that the Lord uses to remind them of what, that they're, what they are when they're outside of Christ. And it's that same sin that drives them back and back again to Christ for all righteousness and acceptance with God. When Satan begins to accuse us of breaking the law, we now in Christ have no guilt of sin. Why? Because he kept the law perfectly for us. And it's in this that our Lord destroyed the works of the devil forever. The line that stood between us and the Lord is dead. Look at verse 7. And when he went down, Samson, and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Now, this is what I hope and pray that our Samson, our strong man, our deliverer, is doing right now. He's talking with us. I sure hope so. If not, we've come tonight in vain. Can you hear him communing with you at this very moment? Has his spirit come to you in power? Can you see and hear the things that your blind and cold heart can never see before? Do you know his voice? Will you follow him? That's what his church, his sheep do. And look at verse 8. And after a time, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now, we're not told how much time transpired here. But just as we don't know the hour or the day that our Lord will return. But enough time has passed that the lion's carcass has decayed. And read on, and behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey, in the carcass of the lion. And as I mentioned a moment ago, honey is, in the Bible, is a picture of the sweetness of God's word. It's like honey to our taste. The word of God is, isn't it? Verse nine, and he took thereof in his own hands, and went on eating. And came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told them not that the Lord had ta- that it- he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. And I hope we could see the sweetness of the picture here: mm-hmm. the very hand that slew the lion, our judge, our deliverer, takes the honey from the lion and feeds his people. The sweetness of his grace. What does that mean? It, it wasn't, was it, was it not the blindness of Bartimaeus that caused him to cry out for mercy and sight? Was it not the issue of blood that caused that woman who'd spent all she had on doctors to come crawling to Christ to touch the hem of his garment? Was it not the rotting flesh of the leper that? caused him to cry, Lord, I know you can, but will you please make me whole again? And was it not the deadness of Lazarus who could not cry that caused the Lord to cry, Lazarus, come forward? Mm-hmm. Are these not pictures of honey coming out of the carcass of the once roaring lion? God takes the honey of his word and he reminds us that the Lord Jesus has put our sin away and fulfilled all the requirements of the law that Satan accused us of breaking. Samson fought the battle and he slew the beast. His parents didn't have any part in that battle. They didn't know where the honey came from, but they reaped the benefits of Samson's victory. And that's what every child of God does. We can't understand the great mystery of godliness. I don't understand how God could become a man. I don't. I can't fathom that. We can understand how that God is manifest in the flesh, but we can certainly reap the benefits of it. Yes, sir. We don't have to understand it. We just have to believe it. Yes, sir. And Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. So I pray what I told you Sunday. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. And Lord, have mercy on me. And I'm hopeful that he will.